everybody another episode of the tartar project this week phil toronto your faithful host here again this week i have jacob of auto pets he walks through some of his first entrepreneurial endeavors which may or may not have uh put him at risk for a federal felony uh the importance of passion and how that should drive all your entrepreneurial decisions or pursuits and maybe not even entrepreneurial pursuits but pursuits in general it's just very important he has some great hiring tips on how to build a team and build trust within a co-founder that's been operating for a, a significant amount of time not really delegating too much and how to put framework in there it's overall it's just a great episode um i hope you learn a lot i hope you enjoy it if you could share the tartar project with your friends like comment subscribe you name it i'd really appreciate it but that's enough of my shtick we'll jump into the episode with jacob right now Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I have Jacob of Auto Pets. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Oh, it's, it's actually my pleasure. Uh, any animal person is a good person in my view. Um, <laughs> can you give the listeners and or viewers a rundown on what Auto Pets is? Sure. Auto Pets is the maker of Litter Robot, which is the highest rated self-cleaning litter box for cats. And that's really how we got our start. And then as of Recently, we launched the feeder robot, which is an automatic pet feeder for both cats and dogs, typically under 50 pounds. And then we also have our litterbox.com brand, which is the maker of refined pet accessories, ranging from modern cat trees to catnip to different litter box enclosures to hide your litter box in plain sight within your small New York size apartment and or large home that you just want to put the litter box out of sight. That makes sense. It's it's funny, my cat owner friends, just the the hoops that they'll go through to kind of conceal uh, the litter box situation. It, it's it's pretty entertaining, honestly. I think when you have a traditional litter box, it's just an eyesore no matter really where you put it. And if you can hide it in plain sight, especially in a smalling, uh, smaller living uh, corridor, I, I think it just, it's, it's nice to have. Yeah. I, I agree. A little aesthetically pleasing, if you will. Um, we're going to take a bunch of steps back. Where where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Um, still actually reside in Bloomfield Hills. Uh, moved around a little bit, but I uh, never really left Michigan. Amazing. And when you were growing up, did you care about school or did you have the option to not care about school? I guess is an interesting way to phrase it. <laughs> I think uh, growing up, I I was always a... 3.0 student. I was never a 4.0. I was never a 2.0, but I always did good enough to get by, but I never really had a passion for it. And I think reflecting back, I wish I had really cared a little bit more about the things that would later impact my life, but I was always focused on working. Um, even growing up in a position where I didn't necessarily have to work, I had a um, entrepreneurial drive from very early on, going back to when I was 12 and 13 babysitting and 14, 15, putting out flyers and uh, different mailboxes and learning firsthand that you're not allowed to open people's mailboxes or you <laughs> will get a call from the government stating that that is not permitted. Um, but, you know, early on, always had that drive to want to do something on my own and didn't realize that it was the desire to be an entrepreneur until later on. But always had a thing every summer uh, till I, 
I mean, till I started my first real business. And was that when when did that happen? When was your first real business founded? So when I turned (laughs) Yeah, no, when I turned 16, uh, my buddy and I, uh, Tony, he and I started TJ Bagel, which was a Sunday morning bagel delivery route. And we would wake up at 5 a.m. and we would go up to the near uh, to the bagel place near us uh, called Broken Bagel. And we would meet the owner there at about five and pack up everybody's bagels, locks and cream cheese in the morning. And we would go and deliver them Sunday morning. We did that for about a year and a half. It didn't really turn into much. It was a fun hobby business where we can make a little bit of money. But, you know, it was the first real business entity that we had actually filed for and learned that process. And then um, about two years later, I actually started something that took over my whole summer, which was a fun business with a buddy of mine, power washing landscaping. And um, that's when I realized I had this creative marketing approach where we sat outside of a grocery store that we worked at and we gave away free power washing services and we gave away a hundred square feet of power washing, which (laughs) is not much. And we called every person who entered and we told them all that they won. And we booked our entire summer from one small event. We were able to get into like 30 different homes and we were able to book out like an entire summer of, of business when we were 18 years old. And it was, it was a really cool first go at marketing. That's amazing. That's, that's really good. That and a hundred square feet sounds like a lot. If, if you kind of look at it on paper, that that's amazing. When, when did you get the, uh, the foray into a, a federal crime of, um, mailboxes <laughs> which which business was that that would be landscaping when we were 14 and 15 before we had you know the ability to drive house to house and it was much easier just to walk up and down the street and put them in the mailboxes so of course that's funny did you want to learn somehow yeah totally <laughs> um did you wind up going to college i did i went to a, i started at oakland university which is a, a local um, a local university in Auburn Hills. And I started there for two years. And then I actually took a year off to go into an entrepreneurship program started by Dan Gilbert, which was called Bizdom. At the time, it was an accelerator. It has since changed to a different model. But I was in the second uh, class. And I went through that for about 10 months. And before the end, I really didn't have a passion business at the time. And um during that wave of the program, they were trying to pair people together at the end. And what I realized then, and, and actually it's carried with me ever since, is that I have to be passionate about what I'm doing. And so I, I actually chose to leave the program at the end. And um, I think a lot of people were there for the capital infusion that you could get. And that's not why I was there. Um, I was really there for the learning experience. And so I, I chose to actually leave and, and start something separately that I was passionate about. Oh, amazing. And, and what, what drove your passion at that time to, to get you to go and leave that program? Um, I started the business called Oi, What a Deal. And it was at the time where Groupon was just starting to take off. And in the Metro Detroit market, we had an opportunity to really get on board merchants who didn't understand exactly what Groupon was. And when Groupon had first launched, I remember they did a deal with, I believe it was Gap. And it was a $25 for $50 voucher with Gap in the Detroit market. And they sold like 9,000 vouchers or something. And it just, it got my former partner and I really excited at the opportunity of what could be. But we both realized 
Gap is a national brand. They had a national sales team. And what, what I recognize as a skill set of myself was the ability to really help local business owners understand the impact that something like this could have on their business in introducing new customers to them. So I would go door to door to different businesses, people that I had networked with and restaurants I had frequented. And I was able to like, actually get a lot of the exciting local businesses on board. Um, a great example is Bojack's at the time, which was one of the Bloomfield Hills favorites for any, any listeners out there that grew up in the area, they'll know what I'm talking about. And we were the only merch, the, the only merchant provider that was able to get Bojack's and Steve's Deli to actually do a deal with us. And there were a lot of those out there. And what we were good at was getting them to understand the value of the Jewish community that we were really targeting and the, and the buying power that came with that. And so it was a really fun upstart that we were able to, you know, get going right away. We had a, a big first launch. I, you know, I stood outside of different places to get people to sign up. And, you know, that was kind of my aha moment that this is really what I was meant to do. That's amazing. What's, um, what, what ended up happening with that business? Uh, so it ended up being acquired very, very small, uh, first acquisition, um, and I, I got bought out a little bit before the acquisition uh, with the goal that I actually did want to graduate. Um, I realized the writing on the wall with that business, which was that we would get a very small acquisition. It wasn't something that I felt long term would be you know, my calling. And so I decided that at the time I would take a buyout and I wanted to go back and get my degree. And at the time, I actually transferred to the University of Michigan, the Dearborn campus, um, which had the first ever digital marketing BBA. So I kind of had this realization that digital marketing would be a thing that I wanted to be a part of. I had a very early preview of what it could be with uh, Oi, What a Deal. And I really wanted to further my education with that. And um, that's what I ended up going on to do. And what happened after? So I assume you did wind up graduating from the University of Michigan. Where, where, where did that lead you? Sure. Well, I think my senior year of college, I was taking 18 credit hours, uh, first semester, second, and then even in the summer. And it was the first time I four-pointed anything. The second I got into digital marketing, life just kind of clicked for me that this is what I was meant to do. Um, and passion. I ended up, yeah, passion. And, and I think, you know, for the first time ever, I actually realized that my education would really impact my future. And it wasn't until I switched into something that I, I genuinely cared about. And when I was reading about all these companies, you know, in, in the marketing books that were so timely and relevant because the marketing books had recently been updated, I got excited about that because it was the same kind of content I was reading in my free time as well. Totally. And I ended up starting a business with my adjunct lecturer. Um, who taught the digital marketing program at University of Michigan. And right before I graduated, I had the opportunity where through my networking, I had pitched Belfour Property Restoration, the largest property restoration company in the world. Um, the CEO is, is actually my mentor, somebody that I admire greatly. And I had the opportunity to sit down with him and I was talking him through what I was doing and I showed him how it applied to their business. And I kind of struck a chord because I had pointed out that there was a certain person outranking them for the term water damage and water restoration. And so it, it immediately opened his eyes to the possibilities of what could be. And so he put me in touch with their head of marketing and without realizing it, I had landed my first consulting gig, but not even knowing how to provide the solutions. 
Right. So I needed somebody that could help me on the solution side, whereas I was good at opening the doors. I needed someone that could help me deliver value to these business owners. So at the time, partnered with my adjunct lecturer, and we ended up starting a business called Traffic, which um, over the next two and a half years, you know, we, we had a very quick upstart growing it to about uh, 800,000 in the first year. Um, and then thereafter about 1.5 million and then uh, just about 2 million in that third year of business. Uh, very quickly built a team, made every mistake that I think I could possibly make as an entrepreneur. And fortunately did it when I was young enough that I could learn from them. And, you know, really, really proud traffic went on to be acquired. I, I actually took an early buyout. Um, but traffic went on to be acquired later by a larger marketing organization. And at the time of me leaving traffic, I joined where I now am, Autopets. Amazing. And what was it What was it about Auto? Well, actually, before I move on to that, um, you seem to have a real knack for just identifying the opportunity, what's next, and, and knowing when the right time for you is to exit. So I think that that's a, a pretty keen skill to have, especially as an entrepreneur. Is is there anything that you identify in an opportunity which like lets you know that it's 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 that time for you to move on? Because I feel like that that's something that could be helpful for listeners that are just trying to figure out either they know something needs to be next or they, they're not fully satisfied with the, the business that they're running or, or what have you. Uh, anything you could add color to on that would be super amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't all rainbows, um, but, you know, it, we I came to a head where I realized that uh, at the time, my partner and I were no longer having fun growing the business together. And for me, that was that was a major sign of what I wanted out of my career. I I recognize that I am somebody who wants to be in business with a partner. And I also think that it's hard to be in business with a partner if you don't enjoy each other's company all the time or want to have some kind of relationship outside of your business relationship. You know, for me, I was young and I really wanted a mentor. And, and I felt like that was something that I had gone into this with and I wasn't necessarily getting that piece of it. And so for me, it was really, I want to have fun in what I'm doing. I we, we realized success and I wasn't having a great time at that point. And I felt like those didn't align. And, you know, looking back, you know, dead on, because the last six years, a little over six years now at Autopets, I've never had more fun in my life. And every day I wake up, I just can't wait to do what I do and, and meet with the team that we have and continue hiring amazing people. And, and I think that I didn't realize what it was, but looking back, it was the idea that, I should be excited about what I'm doing every day. And of course, it won't always be rainbows. There's going to be hurdles along the way. But I think those hurdles help you appreciate the, the wins that you have all that much more. If it was all easy, entrepreneurs wouldn't be entrepreneurs. And exactly. I think that's something that I've realized over the last six years and having the amount of fun that I am, even through a lot of hurdles along the way, it's just I'm, I'm partners with people that I really admire and I really respect and I, and, I, and I have a lot of fun with during and after core work projects. And I think that is a big part of, for me, what I want out of my entrepreneurial journey. Oh, definitely. And I, I, I hate to use a cliche, but it is, it's just so spot on. It's just if you find something you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. So that just sounds like it's ringing true, especially for what you found with auto pets. So I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit about how 
you even got introduced to the team and, and how you identified it as, as what was next for you? So they say everything happens for a reason. Um, the day that I had signed my paperwork for traffic, the day after I got an email from an individual that I had previously networked with and we never really had a chance to work together. Um, and he, he reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, I recently left the company that I was with and I joined this litter box company. I would love for you to come in and pitch us on digital marketing. And I said, you know, I actually don't have a team anymore. As of yesterday, I'm no longer doing what I was doing. And I think for the foreseeable future, I'm really just going to figure out what's next. And he said, do you want to come in and at least talk to us about, you know, maybe a consulting gig? And, you know, I, I thought at the time it would be interesting. I didn't know what it would become. And when I sat down with the founder, Brad, and I was listening to him, first, first and foremost, in a not so great office in Pontiac, Michigan, where I was waiting outside the front door, called the 1-800 number to say, I, I think I'm at the right building. And actually a customer service rep who's still with us today, who's been with us for over a decade now, she said, oh, that means you're at the right building. And <laughs> I get in there and they put me in the back room and a cat just starts crawling on the table. And at the time I was not a cat person. Um, I would now consider myself a cat person with a dog and a cat. Whereas at the time, I was definitely one of those people who just says, I'm a dog person. Um, and so there's this cat walking around on the counter. I'm in, a, in an office that I, I will just say it wasn't super pretty. And I'm wondering, what am I doing? And, yeah. you know, the founder and I'm coming in and we started talking. And I was just so impressed with what he had done. Um, I think so many companies take venture capital and, and I do, I, I think there's a time and place for venture capital and Brad had really bootstrapped everything for the four, 15 years leading into this meeting. He had bootstrapped everything himself. He took a small amount of money from his father uh, at the beginning of, of starting the business. But after that, he had reinvested every dollar. And unlike, you know, a lot of the hockey stick growth that you see out of companies, he did not have that. He had a long uh, journey. And, and it, it took a lot of um, tenacity to get to where he was at the time. And I really admired that. And that was something that immediately stuck out to me. But then he started talking about his marketing budget. And in my head, I'm thinking, you're in this office and you're spending that much on marketing. I, I was really impressed that he really took every dollar that he had earned, that he was able to reinvest and put it back into marketing. And it may not have all been the way that I would have recommended it at the time. But he, he recognized the need to continue fueling his own growth with reinvestment back in. And for me, that just got me excited. Um, I also, um, again, looking back, I realized I always wanted a product I could sell in an infomercial. I don't know why, but I, ever since I was a kid, that was something that I thought was so cool. Um, <laughs> and so I saw he had this product and we were about to launch a new version of it. And I just, I got hooked like right away. I was like, this is really intriguing. So I ended up joining in April of 20, uh, 2015. We spent most of 2015 focusing on building the new website, doing a rebrand, getting ready to launch the new little robot and really moving the company from what I would define as a company that sold online exclusively to a direct to consumer e-commerce company. And, and the real difference is the ability to connect one-on-one -on -one with the consumer using social for what it was. At the time, I think the, the buzzword was uh, celebrity, celeb uh, social celebrity instead of influencer, which has now become the influencer yes. industry. And that December, December 1st was the goal to launch everything we had been working on all year. 
And the average website traffic at the time was like 30,000 visitors a month. And December 1st came and December, we ended up going up to 300 something thousand visitors that month. We hit our first million dollar month. And it was like everything we had worked on hit at the same time with a huge influencer campaign to really reach a new audience with the launch of the new Little Robot. And since then, it has just been a wild journey upwards. And, you know, going at the time from 25 people to now we have 250 plus full time. It's wow. just been a wild six years. And, and I can't wait to see what's next. Totally. I, that's that's really exciting. And it has to be extremely validating to see everything just kind of click that you had a hypothesis about like all at once. That That's amazing. So that was, was that version two of the litter robot? So that was moving from two to three. We're, we're still on version three with some recent modifications that we've made to it, like the adding of the IoT component, uh, the new app that we launched, and some other uh, internal firmware and, and electronics uh, tweaks that we've made to better improve the product. Very cool. And then with that, with that glimpse at success, I, I assume like that gave you the flexibility to to operate a little bit more freely. Not that you didn't have the autonomy before, but I I can imagine that that would be very inspiring for Brad to be like, okay, yeah, I, I think this 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 kind of makes sense. No, that, that that's actually a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, Brad, being a sole entrepreneur, you know, who who only had a small team for such a long time, you know, he did everything. And, you know, it was hard for him at first to give up because there was one notable project that had been given up that, of course, did not go all that well. And so it was kind of like this, OK, I'm going to I'm going to give up the flexibility. And then it, it kind of it, it did not go the direction he would have ideally liked it to. And so he was reserved in giving up that control at first. And, um you know, I think as an engineer, he's a, he's a problem solver. And that was something he had to do for so long on his own with his own capital. And so giving up the rights to make decisions of your own capital is also very difficult as well. Um, with that said, I think after that launch over the following few months, what I would start to do is just uh, take him off of threads. And I would inform him what was going on. But I would take him out of the conversation so that he wasn't having to be part of everything. And then after a while, I built a template where every notable decision went through this, what it was, overview, here's what we're going to do. And it showed him that I was thinking through all the things in which he wanted me to think through when making a decision on behalf of the company. And so I, I over, the, over really 2016, we built a level of trust where I would say coming out of the end of that year, we we really had this this great partnership, um, and at the time I had an option to purchase part of the company at, at a request that I had, which was that as an entrepreneurial background, I was unable to give this my all if I wasn't an owner of the business. And so uh, he he came to the table. We we put something in place in uh, late 2016, um, and at the same time I also launched a business within the business called Litterbox.com which was a subscription cat litter business, which has later grown into a ton of different product. And that was kind of my entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial bug at the time where I was able to build something from scratch. And, and I did it all with uh, my, my counterpart in the, in the business and, you know, the great team that we have uh, to support the growth of the business. But it, it's just been a, it's been a wild ride. And, and Brad is a totally different entrepreneur now than he was then. You know, he, he has really 
love the journey of building out a larger management group. Um, you know, that's been a total change in the business. Now we've got a, a group of, of 17 uh, people on our management team. Wow. And it's just been, it's been a really, a lot of fun watching him evolve, watching myself evolve and watching our greater management team evolve as well. I can imagine that that's also an interesting, not necessarily problem, but task uh, at hand for an engineer because engineer the product first, but now it's on to the, uh, the engineering a team. Um, and just architecting that and, and having you to go hand in hand and help develop this decision framework that just makes him more comfortable and, and empowers him more to do that and allows you to operate. Um, yeah, most definitely. And I think a good parallel to draw would be Dyson. You know, James Dyson still is their chief engineer. He still is the person at the helm of the company. And that's a similar role to what we want Brad forever to be in, which is this ability to be this innovator who thought differently about a problem that had been around for forever. And he was the one who said, I need to solve this. He had inherited two cats. He didn't like the litter box problem. They were not using the litter box as intended, tried to buy what was on the market at the time, and just was not satisfied as a consumer, consumer engineer who chose to solve the problem himself. And I, and I think Feeder Robot is another great example of that. It was, you know, a, a collective brainchild, so a different approach than the first one. Um, whereas Brad invented Litter Robot really on his own. And, and since then, we now have a much more team-driven approach where marketing and engineering work together to, to build new product. Because the reality is they need to know what we need as a marketing organization so that we can reach the largest audience and engineering if just worked in a vacuum, may or may not think through everything related to the consumer experience. And so it's a really good uh, dynamic duo between the marketing org, the engineering org, and now the customer service org, the finance org, and other areas of the business that are all influencing how we evolve our product. Totally. Yeah, I think that's super important. I, you can have the best engineered product in the world, but if there isn't an easy and digestible way to actually sell that product, it's going to be a failure. So I think that's super important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And as a consumer myself, you you can typically tell when, when you have a collaborative product versus a product that solves a problem that very few people have. And while you may be part of that niche and be really excited about that, and we, we did have previous products that were like that. They were a audience within an audience within an audience. And we realized quickly that the kind of business that we want to build is solving greater problems for pet parents at the global level. And to do that, we need to solve bigger problems. Definitely. And one thing I want to touch on, because it's really interesting, you launched a business within a business. What was the process of, well, first, how did you identify that as an opportunity that you thought auto pets should play in? Uh, let's start there. What, what, what spoke to you around litterbox.com? Yeah, so I'm a, a little bit of a do domain hoarder, and uh, my problem started back in 2015, where the first this the first thing that I did when I joined Auto Pets was I bought catpoop.com, and I actually <laughs> bought it myself uh, for two thousand dollars, and then I went to Brad and said, "Hey, I didn't want to leave this on the auction any longer, so I bought it. You can have it for exactly what I paid. I feel it's super valuable, but if you don't want it, I just I thought I had to buy it." Yeah. Um, and so my, my hoarding started back then. And since then, uh, we, we bought quite a few litterbox.com being one of them. And 
when we bought that name, you know, really the opportunity was we have this premium litter box. And if you look at the general cat category, the AOV for, for I shouldn't even say the AOV, the average spending for a household for a cat parent is much less than that of a dog parent. But we broke that. You know, with the litter robot priced the way that it is at its premium price point, we, we changed that mindset. And so what, what we realized was we can also sell a premium cat litter for people that want a premium litter box. And I compare cat litter to toilet paper. You know, we as humans yeah. prefer to buy nicer toilet paper. And we all know what it is when you talk about the cardboard or the sandpaper toilet paper. And, ca and cat litter is not much different. I think most cat parents think of it as a must have. They don't think of it as the luxury that it can be. And in our case of the cat litter that we were um, about to launch with, you know, it was it was a premium cat litter, 100% natural, made in the U.S., really soft on the cat's paws. But because we sun dried it versus coal firing it, you don't get that dust byproduct. So it's actually better for the human and better for the cat. And we saw a market opportunity to bring a premium cat litter to market, where at the time it was called litter robot clumping litter, which really doesn't have the ring that you need to build a broader <laughs> brand. And so we, we decided to go with something that would be a little more generic, where we can go after litter, just people searching for great cat litter, and then also the litter robot you know, premium users. And that was kind of the impetus behind the, the why. And then I think pairing that with a subscription model we realized very quickly at the time the birch boxes, the loot crates, and all these other subscription businesses were really starting to take off. And we saw an opportunity early in 2016 to build our own subscription business. And uh, by the end of the year, we had that live in December of uh, 2016. Amazing. That's exciting. That's so fun. Yeah. It's a different business for me. It's something I had never done. And, you know, I was really geeked to uh, get into the weeds and, and learn something new. And, and we did just that. And, Again, we had a really great team that was able to make that possible in the timeline that we uh, moved with him. Totally. One, one to two more things, then I'll let you get on with your day. But for one, do you have any hiring tips uh, for how to identify great team members, good candidates, or, or anything you can share with the listeners around challenges they may be having to grow their team? Because I feel like that's always an interesting uh, question. <laughs> I, you know, I think uh, earlier on, we we definitely, I don't want to say made mistakes because I think that it all got us to where we are now. And so therefore, I don't really view them as mistakes. Um, but, you know, I think what we did is we rushed a hire. And I think we would meet somebody, get excited about what they could do because they had this impressive background or they, they did really well in their first interview. And we, we've hired a couple of people, many people that that we probably rushed too quickly, but it ended up being the right move. And I think what we've since realized is, you know, kind of take our time. You know, it's, it's almost like dating when you're hiring a, a management team member who's going to be representing a whole department. And I think what we've since realized is going through and having a whole bunch of our different team leaders all interview them individually where I'm not present or they're not present, but individually making sure that everybody thinks they culturally align with us. I think the thing that we've started to do recently is hiring smart people, whether they are the fit for that role on day one or day 100 or day 365, if you hire passionate people that have the ability to creatively problem solve, that to, to, to us, that's much more valuable than the person who can you know, fit into that square box on day one. 
And so we've done a much better job hiring culturally than we have necessarily for the role itself. And that's something that we're definitely carrying into our management hires is, you know, doing that, the dating process. I know with my CFO, we met seven or eight times um, before he ended up joining us and, you know, could not be any happier a year later that we did that because it allowed us to make sure that we all connected as individuals, as professionals, and then, you know, the camaraderie of the team around us. You know, our CFO joins our marketing meetings every week. And, and we really wanted somebody who was bought into spending in the high funnel. And that's not your traditional, I'll say, you know, maybe finance professional where you can't associate a return to an ad spend. And this individual really got that. And we didn't realize that until we continued meeting with him where the things that he really cared about were continuing to grow the brand as much as our revenue. And so just little things like that, we found through that kind of dating process. And I hate to call it dating, but it's essentially what it is. You're getting to know somebody and you're learning more about them in each meeting. And that, that's been our kind of win with recruiting um, as of late. I think that's an awesome tip and super important to stress. So thank you for sharing the, some of the secret sauce. Um, on, on the theme of secret sauce, and maybe it's top secret, I don't know, but is there anything in the pipeline with AutoPets that you can share around like what's next, what's around the corner and what you're working on? Yeah, so we have uh, some really exciting new products in development, but more so I think the, the bigger project for us right now is our rebrand. Um, the way I describe our problem and opportunity all in one is that we've done such a great job building, and I'll use Apple as a good example here, but we've done such a good job building our iPhone we never step back to build our Apple. So Auto Pets is a brand that most people don't know about. Most people know who Litter Robot is, as it's now searched for over 200,000 times a month, where the category of automatic litter box is closer to 75,000 times a month. So our brand search term is three times that of the category search term. And we've done that through just a great job at marketing Litter Robot through creative ways. Now we need to step back and build our brand because the reality is Litter Robot is not a platform to allow for the continued innovation that we want to bring to pet parents. And so we're stepping back and we'll be rebranding um, and we'll be launching later this summer with the goal of building our Apple to our iPhone. And so Litter Robot will then become a product of Nuco and uh, Feeder Robot, a product of Nuco, and then a platform that allows us to launch continued innovation so that just like with iPhone or with Apple rather, you buy into Apple, you buy into the yeah. iPhone, the MacBook, the AirPods. And right now we don't have that buy-in. We have passionate Litter Robot users. And I see it online that people are saying, oh, I bought the Feeder Robot by Litter Robot. And it just doesn't have that ring to it the way that yeah. we need long-term to build a global brand. And so we're really excited about what is to come with our rebrand, the launch of our loyalty program, the launch of a lot of exciting new projects at the end of this year um as well as new product as well cool that's a lot on your plate <laughs> that's for sure uh last last major question is do you have a life motto or mantra that you either apply to your career or tough situations or anything that you kind of repeat to yourself uh to get you through so i i define myself as a persistent optimist um I try and find the good in everything, whether that's in personal life or professional life. I try and see the good in everything because when you dwell on the bad or the negative or the hurdles that you have to face, it's hard to see what's ahead. And it's also hard to get a team bought into your vision when you're dwelling on the things that the reality is they're going to happen. 
you're going to get hit with new competition. You're going to get hit with, you know, possibly legal matters. You're going to get hit with things that take away from your core work and the thing that you're excited about. And if you dwell on them, it's just, it's hard to ever enjoy the the positive that comes with, you know, the, the business that you're building. And so I've, I've been this way for a long time. And, you know, I experienced some personal hurdles in life early on that taught me that, you know, the small things aren't really that big of a deal. Um, and so I, I live my life as a persistent optimist where I really do look at every opportunity and every networking event and every conversation that I have as an opportunity to learn something or further myself or, you know, further my team even, you know, I think that to me has been my, um, golden ticket, I'll call it, you know, the thing that keeps me moving through the good and the bad and something that I think the whole team around me and, and with me really sees from me in, in each opportunity and in our business in general is just looking at the positive that we're doing, whether it be for pet parents, whether it be for donations that we do to local shelters or whatever it may be. I think just looking at those positive next things that can come from whatever you're facing at the time really help you to persevere through what it, what, whatever that may be. I love that. I completely share that. That's awesome. Before I let you go, where, where can people find you and Autopets, either on the internet or in person? So I'll go back to my first domain I bought. If you go to catpoop.com, which you can't <laughs> on here after I say it to you, um, that'll redirect you to Litter Robot. And uh, later this year, we'll have our actual branded website up as well. And my email, the one that I give in an Uber when I meet somebody with a cat, Jacob at catpoop.com will redirect to my primary email. So I always throw that one out there because it's pretty hard to unhear. That's amazing. I'm never for going to forget that ever. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this today, Jacob. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the invite. Uh, I'm, I'm becoming uh, an even bigger fan uh, than I already was of the, the organization that you're a part of. And, and you know, really appreciate being uh, included today. Awesome. Thanks so much.